For early access to more videos like this, plus exclusive content, community discussions, and more, become a patron at patreon.com slash brucepointset. And welcome to the Blacktastic, uh, the Blacktastic Extra series. Uh, here with Donovan Smith, we've been you know chatting it up for the last 70, 70 minutes or so. So one of the things we talked about that's kind of been like the impetus really for for this series is trying to break down these artificial barriers between Black people in Oregon. We live in a state you know, again, that literally the foundation is, you know, genocide of indigenous people, bar, you know, constant, the only state that allowed or like had in the laws that, you know, black people couldn't settle here. So, you know, we're, when it comes to like the exclusion, when it comes to trying to like separate us and kind of, really make it known that we're not welcome here. That's in the foundation, that's in the soil of the state. And part of, you know, we talk about like, we have sort of like small, at least relatively compared to the rest of the country, kind of like little epicenters of black life. But a lot of us are like spread out all throughout this state. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, there's a lot happening, which again, Part of the reason for the series to kind of like highlight some of the awesome things happening in these places in the state outside of Portland that you don't hear about, but also that you know we get isolated and it makes it easier for just like whether it's you know white supremacists specifically or just white supremacist society and like these structures to really just like eat us alive out here in various different ways. Some you know the obvious trauma like you know murder of Aiden Ellison out in Ashland. But then, you know, as we're talking about just earlier, the uh, even just like the little police stops and just the little, the small little like microaggressions that happen all the time, they're just like literally picking at our identity. So, you know, we have these opportunities to kind of like connect with each other and start breaking down these things because we have so much like shared struggle, even across like, whether it's, you know, artificial geographic barriers, even across some economic barriers, you know, I know it's the, you know, the term is like the, uh, like I recognize myself, like I grew up in Lake Oswego, you know, I grew up with a decent amount of privilege, but there are plenty of like, you know, I look and say in the, you know, I guess tradition of, black activism and whatnot, there's been a role for like the bourgeoisie of us to be involved too. And how do we connect those things? So to that end, I kind of want to, you know, just continue the conversation with you about kind of like just the importance, like, you know, as you move through this journalism space, as you move through just doing this work and kind of like, you know, doing stuff like, especially in these areas, in these like periphery areas and kind of like, uh, yeah, just kind of doing that work as far as building relationships and breaking down barriers. Yeah, I think it's, 
like you're saying, there are like 90,000, I believe, black people in Oregon. It's not a lot of people. It really isn't. Like for some places, this is barely the stuff that makes up a city in terms of like the amount of black people. Um, and so I, I think what, what happens especially in the midst of a breakup, but it happens all the time. Um, in the city, it like tries to pit us against each other. It tries like to pit our faults up against each other, our like little things that really aren't that big, like you're saying, like being, but like, what is that really when we don't even have collective wealth like what is that like you know what what is the distance between being bourgeoisie and being somebody on the corner slanging in this city in this state and really the country is it's not a whole lot of distance between those things um and you know even in the context uh, the red house is very heavy on my mind right now so i'm repeating about it one more time but if you think about this family that owned a home outright and then a injury like a family injury is what caused them to have to take out a loan um and then get them into the, a predatory loan that is the foundation for what is happening in terms of this foreclosure like it is these moments where like the moment something goes wrong can set you right back into a, a um a trajectory, you know, to, to like kill off your generations of family. Um, it's just very hard to get your footing um, out here. And so for me, I think part of the conversation we're having before, I think having lived in Northe Northeast um, and being out in the suburbs for a long time, at least for schooling and seeing like being a part of that struggle of like some of the more micro parts of ways that things pick at you as well. And seeing my mom come from like more overt systematic ways of like destruction and seeing her not become a lot of the things that would be the other side of what she's been through um, and doing everything right, quote unquote, working a state job and trying to put me into an institution that would set us up differently and then owning a home and still seeing those things destroyed ultimately by racism. I just know how deep this shit runs. It is so deep. It's deep when it doesn't mean to be. That's how the thing works. It, it just works. It is constant. It is everywhere. And so it's not lost on me. <laughs> it's just not lost on me, the, the corners of the stuff. So I, I try not to like, I try not to get caught up in too much like purity of like how somebody needs to show up in order to be active um, or too much of like you needing to have read or speak in a certain way in terms of like theory or having known a certain amount of 
these histories to be able to be active. Um, I don't because that's that's not real in terms of our community. You know, like it's not it's not what's happening. I think we have to be we have to be we have to hold each other way tighter um, than that. Um, and yeah, there, there's just so many nuances. Like, I don't know, I'm trying to be, you know, mindful, but I, like I, I, I talk about my cousin a lot, you know, like in terms of her experience, like being like the child of busing, you know, like my mom and my uncle were bused out from Northeast Portland. My uncle was in Tigard High School with my mom and met my cousin's mom, who was a white girl, um, and had, you know, eventually had my cousin who had to do the schooling system in the Tigard Tualatin High School District. And just her experience with like racism I didn't even experience being at, at the private school I was in, in the suburbs. <laughs> excuse me, and seeing how deep that was going, like, and even doing a story about when the racism was showing up at some point and seeing the school trying to tell me to not do the story, um, that it, it essentially was something that just needed to uh, quietly go away. That was the best way to handle it. Um, you know, but knowing her story is not the Northeast Portland story. It's the story of being a black person who's been created through policy in a weird way. That's a weird way of saying it, but like, you know, like there, there's so many different nooks of like our actual realities when it comes to policies and like the foundations of like white people making decisions for us. It's, it's actually, again, it's just a very mind boggling in a lot of ways. It's part of why I made that status a couple of days ago on on Facebook. It wasn't even me necessarily, though I'm not completely unmarried from the idea, but like what would it look like for Black and Indigenous people to set the rest of the tone for the state? Just imagine it. Like it, it would be so completely a different way of being because it's foundationally just a different way of existing. Like it, it just is because everything else, most of what's happening in the city, in the state, is foundationally still embedded in white colonial, colonialist mind states. Still, even with all the equity goals, even with all the different DEI trainings, even with all the speakers, like, foundationally it is still white will informing the direction that we're going it, it just is even with tribal liaisons even with you know like it, it is still foundationally white will controlling the state and to even begin to imagine what black and indigenous will would be to to set the tone for where we're going, just, and even in the status, I said the remaining lands, the remaining lands here, not the entire, the remaining. It just, it's so different, you know? Um, 
and I don't even know what different would fully mean. Um, and I don't think white people knew that Portland and Oregon would look like this when they said, we're not gonna let black people live here and you're not gonna own nothing. You're not gonna marry our women either. Um, but this is the end result of white will. Um, and knowing the work that has been done for people to resist and create spaces at every juncture of our existence in this in this state alone, where we were, like you said, we weren't even supposed to be. It's the only state that explicitly was like, get out of here. Um, and knowing that that goes as far back as before it was even called Oregon and York being here and York being somebody who was so, at least in documentation, so loved and still even at the, the, the end of what he did here and and helping uh, the, the the quest to come to Oregon. Um, most documentation shows he didn't get anything really. Um, knowing that that even even before it was Oregon, it was just a territory that was being explored. Knowing that that is it is so foundational, um, but knowing that. Nonetheless, people came here, stewarded this land, people built families out here, people have resisted, people have created institutions, even if you trickle it on down to the Black Panthers, creating models around dentistry and, and, and feeding children that are still used for the masses today. Um, and I'm talking about the Portland chapter, like imagine if black will was enforced in this state. Imagine if indigenous will was enforced in the state. We'd be better off collectively. Um, it's, it's the core of what I was trying to get at with that status. Um, I, I believe that, I think it's, uh, it, it in terms of the country, oh my God, can you imagine if like every bit of, uh, planning was just halted and said, land back and we're going to have indigenous tribes uh, to this land and black folks control the, the remaining future of this country. And not just the black people we're paying like to do what we want them to do. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's really you know, a lot of gems there, but, you know, you talk about how people, um, yeah, it's kind of like this consultant, you know, this consultant state where, and I think that kind of gets back to just like the roots of this state as far as like how we're even set up against each other, because you just got you have so many people who buy into, you know, the Highlander mindset. There can only be one Black person. There can only be one Indigenous person here. There can only be one Latinx person here. And they all got to work in DEI for some reason. Like, and people, it always is weird to me how many, like, of us buy into that as if we, like, I know some people maybe are a little more 
naive, more optimistic, maybe they, you know, they believe in people, but it's like, you're a grown adult. <laughs> you can't, you can't be 50 years old and not get this game. And even if you, even if that's the case, at what point, if you're, if you're 50 and still buying into the divide and conquer, and you're still playing into this, like, I'm going to undercut other people in the name of, like, I just want to impress these white people, or I just want to, you know, get as much of this money as I can from these white institutions. It's like, okay, well, um, you know, and I, I'm working on this. I'm trying to figure out better ways than just like, you know, I want to just go to war with other black people, you know. But I also recognize that like in situations, especially like in the peripheries and these places outside of Portland in the state, it's like you get radicalized one way or the other. You know, like you're talking about, you know, with your cousin going to like school out in Tiger, like it's like you become either and I've seen this even with just like interviewing students, interviewing people kind of in like on the same age range in different places out in the state where it's like you either you either go full on like, you know, I'm I'm walking in the steps of the Panthers, or you become like Candace Owens. And it's like no in between <laughs> in some cases. I, but like it, and you think like it's bad enough with you know again, it's one thing to see it kind of like with younger people, and you worry, you try and like intervene and be like, look, I just you need to you know because there's a lot of situations where it's you know people are I don't want to get so deep into this, but like you know where it's like maybe you don't have black parents. You don't have, you're in this area where you were adopted and it's this mostly white area. And, you know, it's like, I don't want to sound super dramatic, but it's really like you, you just haven't had like enough black love. You have not seen and experienced enough black love in your life and you go this other way and you want to like, you know, you want to intervene and just be like, maybe you didn't realize this was a possibility, but you know, black people and, you know, loving each other and loving ourselves and not, you know, literally being ashamed of our existence. If you can, I know you haven't heard that's a possibility, but let me put that, you know, in your life. But it's, um, yeah, when you see that again, it's, I feel like I'm just, I'm demoralized when I see that in people, again, who are like twice our age, who still have like internalized, I mean, there's no other way to say it, like internalized that self-hatred or like lack of self-esteem about being black people. But because again, especially in this, you know, we're talking about DEI campaigns and people trying to show that, you know, they can meet the lowest baseline ever of like being an acceptable city or acceptable school district or something, you find these same people who have all that internalized self-hatred, but they've, they've, they've gotten a certificate that says they're a DEI instructor and they're going out here, you know, propping themselves up as leaders in the community. 
And it's like, what do you do? You know, again, what do you do with that when someone's just actively doing things that are just like dangerous and harmful to people? Because you're trying to, you know, I believe in trying to give everyone an opportunity or trying to, you know, sort of to that idea of just like, you know, maybe you just haven't had enough black love in your life. I want to give you that opportunity to not prop up the system. But then you deal with some of these people who, you know, they have, they've been given the opportunities and they've made it clear, nah, I'm going down with the ship. Or, you know, I'm jumping it like, man, I need to, I need a cartoonist, man. I need, <laughs> I need, I need an animation person because I just want to have, like, I just want to have a drop every time where I'm just, like, I want to do, like, news stories and just have someone just jumping like Superman in front of the bus <laughs> every time. But I'm ranting out on here anyway. The point being, you know, I think what's been kind of cool to see in recent years, it's been happening since before, you know, you talk about the Portland Panthers, is Eugene, you know, Black Panther Party, like, and just one, trying to connect with people, like, learn this history that, you know, it's like, I don't know all this history, so it's good, you know, it's good for us, but then showing it out to other people and showing them these opportunities and these possibilities, and a lot of these people who are still around and you can still talk to and connect with, like, it may not, especially like you said, there's like 90,000 of us. Shoot. We can meet up, we can actually meet all of each other out here. This is not, <laughs> this is not Atlanta. We could actually, you know, especially in this time when we are in a pandemic and we're all at home. We can reasonably connect and like say, again, what is it, like you said, what does it look like when we make the decision? Not when a consultant makes a decision, not when a group that's commissioned by, you know, this institution makes a decision. What does it look like when we make the decision? And I think if there was ever a time where we could make something happen, like, why not now? Mm. You know? So, yeah, that was... I was going to ask you another question, but then you got me into the spirit of the little rant there. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's anything yeah, else you like. Jesus to... took over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add, but uh... no. I, I mean, I guess a little bit. It's just there. There is absolutely like I think, especially with what's happening with with the movement right now i think it's a window of opening um and i think we can revision how a lot of things are done right now um and i, I don't know i don't know how long that's going to last um and even in saying window that's knowing that that's speaking in terms of white <laughs> opportunity white framework and everything um but yeah nonetheless I, I think there there is so much happening um around the city um around the region 
And then so much I don't even know about that's happening in the state. Um, the, the gist of what's happening to us is really the same policies got enforced on it. So it's not that different, you know, because we're, we're the same policies got enforced. So in terms of like revisioning everything, um, I think it does take a little bit more of a holistic vision that we kind of set the tone for. And I, I kind of like the protests did, but not in the exact same way. But I think, and I've said this for a long time, that Oregon could be a model for other places in terms of how to you know, set black agendas and do things differently because there are so few of us here. Um, but a lot of the forces in general that have been um, implemented in our communities, they're, they're pretty much the same. You know, in any place that you look at in America, at least, like it's pretty much the same type of dealings, um, even from how they will have you and uh, they'll cut a freeway through your neighborhood to, to, you know, cut off the lifeline of it. Like these are things that were happening all over the place. It's not just Portland. Um, and Cointel Pro didn't just happen um, in other places. It happened in Portland. All, all these things are like same thing, busing, all this stuff. Um, so I, I feel like if we were to rectify things, um, generation, generationally here, um, more places may be able to get an idea of how to do that more holistically too. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know if it will happen, but I think there is an opportunity there. And it doesn't need to look, look like Kumbaya either. I think that's, that's, um, not a good way of looking at it. Yeah, it's not real. It's not yeah. real. It doesn't, it just kind of, it just pisses people off. And it actually, you know, moves stuff backwards. When you could just be out here having, let people dictate their conversations, let people have real conversations, give people justice to, you know, give back the resources you stole. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's um to what you said about even just like being able to use Portland as like a case study for these places. I mean, it's not even like this is some, you know, out of the box concept. It's like, you know, I've worked with universities. Like this is, you know, a lot of academic institutions are trying this now to varying degrees. And it's like, and let's be clear, it's not perfect by any means. It's not, it's, it is a messy bag. But even they at least recognize from, uh, you know, even from the most cynical standpoint, it's like, well, we need to be a top academic institution, which means we need to produce students who can be, you know, successful in the world. And the world includes other people. So if we want these, even if we just want these white students to be successful, we still need other people who actually want to be here and contribute to this university and that's from like the most cynical standpoint but like even then they see like oh it's in our best interest to like actually invest in people you know mm -hmm. 
Oh, my bad. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, it's and it's not just, you know, it's universities doing this, cities doing this to, you know, in an especially performative way. But, like, there is, you know, at, like, we've reached this point where it's like, if you're still kind of, like, pushing back on this, it's just like, okay, no, no, you're, you're just that invested in white supremacy, like, not not subtly, not, you know, not just unconsciously, like you are just, you planted your flag in here, you you are trying to maintain this. And, you know, I don't know. Again, we're in this, you know, in this critical moment where this is something else I wanted to say, but I'll say this instead. A lot of people have exposed who they are. A lot of people have shown you, you know, because everyone's like, well, what would you have done if you were there in the civil rights movement? You know, the old cliche, it's like, nah, we know right now. We're watching right now. And there's a lot of people who, I want to do my part to make sure we don't forget <laughs> what they showed us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. I had a more uplifting point I was going to like pivot to, but no. well, I mean, the, 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 uplifting, the uplifting. Well, one thing: some people are going to be granddad from Boondocks and in thirty years, forty years, saying what they did and how they were on the front line and all this other stuff. Um, but man, Jim Clyburn already is. Anyways, I'm going to mute myself. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think you know, some of the things that have happened in terms of mutual aid and all that stuff, like people mobilizing, people, black women uh, getting housed for the first time in years, getting their own apartments and stuff, like things like that. Those things are examples of what could be um, if we actually started mobilizing and taking care of each other. Um, and this is in this very small microcosm of what's what's happening. And then like, even for the people, the people who think they're doing good, people who like to think of themselves as good, a la people like the mayor who can loan himself $150,000. And I'm not, I know I've named Ted a couple times in this interview, but I think it's kind of like when we're really talking about state forces and our realities, the mayor is a good proxy for everything. So somebody being able to loan themselves $150,000 for a campaign where he technically lost um, because he comes from generations of timber wealth and is able to do that. And then ultimately espouse a lot of equity and DEI and, you know, even hire some black people, uh, the most diverse staff that's ever been in the mayor's office, but ultimately still inflict his white will when he's upset that people are trying to protect themselves in ways that he doesn't agree with. I feel like this is a lot of the case study and 
what we deal with in Oregon. Ted Wheeler and his vocabulary and his realities and in terms of his generational realities in terms of what he does when it comes to how he enacts power because there is a lot of DEI talk out here, but how it actually is realized in the fabric of everything, it's very different, you know? It, it, it doesn't ultimately change the dynamics of things. So, but the most inspiring thing that is happening in the midst of it is how people are actually taking care of each other and people are trying to mobilize and take care of each other. Um, it's just interesting, and it's very Oregon. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's it's a great point though, because you know we can talk about you know some of these more like symbolic things, but when you take care of people for real, that's the stuff that sticks. You listen, I mean, we're watching old interviews with like, what was it saying like? Like Chuck D of Public Enemy talking about, you know, being, you know, being part of like the Panther free lunch program or free breakfast programs back in the day. And like other artists and people who, you know, went on to be, you know, these big figures. But it's not like it's not an accident. Like the Panthers were actually like literally feeding them, you know, like and that's like you said, that's one of the beauties of this moment now. We're talking about mutual aid. We're talking about, you know, some of these, like I said, like the direct action at the Red House right now, where uh, you're watching people show up for people in these tangible ways, in these ways that it's like, okay, you know, you really, like, you got me. I, I was in a situation, a real bad situation, and you had me. That last, that sticks is just as like a, you know, we're talking about organizing, we're talking about like building stuff generally generationally because the same way you know you remember like you know that person fed me when I was hungry, that person that person supported me, that person got me helped me get housing. You know, the flip side, of course, is I remember that person giving me this big speech about you know, how they're working on their unconscious bias or how, you know, they are, you know, they're trying to do the work and they went to this reading group, but they didn't do a goddamn thing <laughs> with things actually happened. They're nowhere to be found when anything happened. They're blah, blah, like, so, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's always still an uphill battle and it can be, you know, demoralizing in some senses. But like, when you think about again, just generationally, like planting these seeds, just making—I mean, never mind planting seeds, just making sure people survive, like <laughs> for real. But like, it's like you said, is kind of like an inspiring thing to take out of this moment, and you know, hopefully a paradigm shifting thing to take out of this moment. So that's, we continue on. Uh, yeah, so with that, I will 
thank you for you know giving us gems upon gems for for the Blacktastic adventure. Uh, you, know, you got a lot going on. So you know, for people watching this extra, uh, can you just plug where people can find you, uh, the websites, the socials, uh, anything else you would like, you know, where people can find Donovan Smith? Yep. Um, yeah, my OnlyFans is, hold up. Uh, <laughs> uh, my Instagram is what I meant to say is ignorant, um, at ignorant underscore DMS. Um, clothing line, you can follow at ignorant reflections. Uh, the website needs a big update, massive update. Um, but depending on when you're watching it, uh, check out www.ignorantreflections.bigcartel.com. Um, and for more arts and kind of like civic engagement type stuff, um, you can follow Gentrification is Weird on Instagram, uh, just all one, one word. Um, and yeah, if you're trying to get plugged into the NAACP stuff, not that that's a platform I um, am responsible for ultimately, but um, you can check out pdxnaacp.org. Yeah. And there you have it. This has been the Blacktastic Adventure. I don't have a good sign-off yet, but tune in. Uh, tune in to the next episode. And I want to thank Donovan again for taking the time to, you know, as I just share a lot of insights, a lot of knowledge with us. So with that, take care, everyone, and sign off. Thank you for watching. Please like and share and subscribe so you can stay up to date on all of the latest videos. Thank you.